Well, today we're going to continue this uh, series that we've been in, honestly, for, for several, several weeks. Um, as, I, as I was pretty honest with you a couple weeks ago, um, I didn't intend for this to be a long series. I thought that it would be a series that would take us up to Easter. We'd celebrate on Easter, we would continue, and we would move on from there. But as we got into the series, this series on That You May Believe, as we began to talk about that, we began to process that, what I loved about it was I, I said, I can't stop at Easter. You know, this story continues because the question continues. That we, we see these people that Jesus had encounters with throughout his life, throughout his ministry. And when he would uh, heal, when he would teach, when he would interact with people, he would invite them to believe then we see as we come into the Easter season, we got through Palm Sunday, the excitement of that day. We get to Easter, uh, which we see that week, everything begin to change. We see Jesus go to the cross. We see him die. We see him placed in a tomb. Then we celebrate the resurrection. And then the question then, would you believe, comes again. But now it's got a little bit of a switch to it, a little bit of a change to it. Where before these were people were invited to believe. This is the Messiah. This is the Son of God. This is Jesus. This is who this is. They're invited to believe. Now the questions begin to change. They begin to ask again. They begin to be invited again. Would you believe in this Jesus? But not would you believe in this Jesus who just healed you. Not would you believe in this Jesus who did these incredible things. But would you believe this is the Jesus who was buried, placed in a tomb, but is now resurrected? His very own disciples had to wrestle with this idea. What does it mean to believe? And so for some times, I think as we read the scriptures, we sort of think of the disciples. We think of the early followers of Jesus that they just sort of went to church and they just sort of gathered. They just sort of did their thing and, and you know, everything made sense to them. None of it made sense. They're sitting back and they're going, wait, what just happened? What just took place? He's alive. He's resurrected. He, what kind of Messiah is this? What kind of Lord is this? What is my relationship now with this living, resurrected Jesus? What does that mean for my life? Now, if we're not asking the same things as the disciples, there is seriously something wrong with us. First of all, we should be saying, resurrection? Let's stop there for a second. Let, hold the phone. Like if you're not stopping and sitting back, I had a seminary professor said, we ask the worst questions because we ask the simple questions. He said, instead, you should be asking questions like resurrection. Now, that, that's, that's pretty wild. Well, what does it mean if I believe that Jesus was resurrected, that the power of God resurrected Jesus into glorious life, prepared for heaven? And not only did he become alive, but he is alive. He is eternal. He is glorified. He is present with us all the time. It's really amazing when you begin to think about that. Think about the presence of Jesus. I have a friend who this last week has been in the Holy Land, and I would, I would love to go to the, I don't know if anybody's been to the Holy Lands. I would love to go to the Holy Lands. One of his posts, he was talking and he said, um, you know, this is where Jesus taught. This is where Jesus walked, where Jesus was present. And I thought, man, I would love to see that. Then I looked outside I thought, you know what? This is where Jesus taught. And this is where Jesus walks. And this is where Jesus is present because Jesus is alive. 
And Jesus is present with me wherever I go. See, we begin to ask these questions. What does resurrection mean? It means that Jesus is here with you and me, here in this space, here and now. That Jesus is alive and with us. How cool is that? Then we begin to think, okay, so what does that mean? And what, is that, what, is that, what do we do with that? Well, then we say, well, if he's resurrected, and he is resurrected and alive, and he is the only person who is resurrected and alive, he is the Lord. He is Emmanuel, God with us. Then I say, well, if he is the Lord, then he is the Lord of my life. What does it mean to give my life to the resurrected Jesus? What does it for me, do for me to look at him and say, he is the king of my life? That I am no longer king. I am no longer in charge. I no longer sit on the throne. I'm no longer the main character in this play. It is Jesus who is. He is the one that I follow. He is the Lord of my life. Everything begins to change. And so we ask these questions. What does it mean to believe in resurrection? What does it mean to believe the power of God working through Jesus and working through my life? What does it mean that he is the Lord of my life? What does it mean that he is the king? What does it mean that his kingdom is coming into this world? And what does it mean that I participate in that? And how do I participate in that? And what does that look like? Great questions. Such good stuff. So then we we sum all of that up with this series. And we ask this question. Would you believe that I would believe. We all receive now this invitation through this question. Would you believe that? And that is what this sermon series is all about. Wrestling through, seeing the questions that we should be asking in the lives of these people who encountered Jesus in his life and ministry who encountered Jesus after the resurrection, seeing the disciples who asked all of these questions. Now, as a part of this, the the text that we find that kind of brings all of this together is found in the Gospel of John. And I love John. John is creative. John is mystical. John is weird. John has things that he he just writes differently than everybody else. But like the other Gospels, he's telling the story of Jesus. He's he's sharing who Jesus was, what kind of things Jesus did, what happened in his life and his ministry, how the resurrection took place, what all of this looks like. But what I love about John is as he's talking, he takes this moment where he just sort of stops. And I talked about this as breaking that fourth wall. So he just sort of stops. He's, it's like he's writing. And you can, I want you to imagine this, you know, be creative. Close your eyes if you need to imagine him. It's okay. You can think of him writing. You can think of him sitting at a typewriter. I know he didn't have a typewriter, but you can imagine that for a minute if you want, or a computer or whatever you need. Uh, you know, he's sitting there kind of just working on this, right? You're, you're, you're sitting there with the camera. You're paying attention. You know, you're seeing the story being written. Maybe he's reading the story out to us. Maybe this is the community that he wrote this to, and he's reading it to them. In the middle of it, he stops. I just love this. Sort of one of those moments where you're telling a story and you stop and you go, oh, by the way, you parenthetical citation. If you're my 13-year-old daughter, you would actually say parentheses. Fill it in, close parentheses. So think about that for a second. This is John. He's writing, he's talking. He goes, parentheses. And then he says, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, 
and that by believing, you may have life in his name. Okay, close parentheses, let me continue. So, so this is what John is doing. He, he stops, he looks right at us. He says, now listen, I didn't write everything. There's too many stories. I would have run out of paper. They would have been like, this is too long to go in the Bible. Got to shorten it up a little bit. You need an editor. Okay, now that we got that taken care of, what I did write to you, I wrote to you, so you would believe. And then he tags on this super cool part. He says, not just that you would believe. John's like, I don't want you to just have an intellectual acceptance of Jesus. And I'm with John on that. I, I think an intellectual acceptance of Jesus is, is the shortest level that we can go into this thing. Just saying, okay, yeah. I, I believe there was a Jesus. I think he said really good stuff. You know, I think if people lived like Jesus, things would be pretty good. John takes it another step. He adds a piece to it, and he adds this piece. Because when John is writing this, he's had the experience of following Jesus. Okay, he's not writing this as John the salesman on the front end of things. Saying, hey, I'm going to go follow Jesus. You should come with me. Take an intellectual journey with me. Let's go follow Jesus. He has lifelong followed Jesus and said, my life has been changed, transformed. Everything is different now. See, I have life in his name. He says, so I wrote this so that you would believe that by believing, you would have life in his name. So John now gives us not an intellectual acceptance. He says, I want you to have a transformative experience. As a pastor, that's my heart. As a pastor, I, I, don't, I don't need you to have an intellectual acceptance. That's great. That, that's good. I mean, that's, that's fine. I want you to have a transformative experience with the Jesus who is the Lord of my life. That's why I've given my life to ministry, to telling people about Jesus, because Jesus has changed my life, and there is nothing better than watching other lives be changed by Jesus. That's what he's telling us. He's saying, he's, he's Pastor John here, saying, guys, I want you to have a transformative, I want you to believe in his name. So now listen again to this. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, that by believing, you may have life in his name. Now, we talked about these encounters. We talked about these people meeting Jesus. We talked about these people who were invited to believe in Jesus. Now, John puts it this way. He says, he says, but these are written. What are written? Well, he says, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples. John, John is very interested in this idea of signs. He wants you to see that Jesus did certain things that, that be, only the Messiah could do. Only the Savior of the world could do. Only Jesus could do. So when we look at these things and we say, those miracles seem impossible, John says, yes, I know they do. Because only Jesus can do those. Now, the ultimate sign that John points to is he gets to the end of his book. So he's got these several different signs. He comes to the end. The ultimate sign is the resurrection of Jesus. 
Jesus was crucified on a cross, buried in a tomb, but death could not contain the power of God as he rose from the dead to new life and promised new life to all who would believe. So resurrection is essential. Resurrection is the core of our belief. Resurrection is upon which every other theological implication we have is built upon Jesus being resurrected from the dead. This is the ultimate sign for us. And he says, but these are written, these signs, these are written that you may believe. And ultimately through the resurrection, you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, that by believing you may have life in his name. So what's the invitation? Now we know the signs. What's the invitation? The invitation is to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Savior of the world. We see that he is God, that when we see Jesus, we see God. We're no longer guessing about God, as I talked about Emmanuel, God with us, right? We don't have to guess about who God is because God is fully shown to us through Jesus. We see his love, his grace, his, his power, his mercy in the life, death, and the resurrection of Jesus. And now here's the best part. Here's where all of this goes. We're not only invited to believe this about Jesus. We're not only invited to believe that the love, the power, the goodness, the mercy, the grace of God is all present in Jesus, but to believe that his love, grace, mercy, power can be at work in our own lives. And the way he talks about that is with what I said. The very end of that passage in verse 31, that by believing, you may have life in his name. And now, now, this is so cool. What he means by life here is a fullness of life. A fullness of life here and now. It's the grace, the mercy, and love that we see in the life of Jesus promised to us. See, this is what blows my mind. When people say, you know, I like Jesus. I, I think Jesus is, is great. If people lived like Jesus, this world would be a better place. But what we miss is that then people look and say, but I'm not sure about some Christians because, you know, we don't, you know, they don't really look like Jesus. Right! Because Jesus is working in and through and transforming. And I am going to mess up, and you're going to mess up, and you're going to screw up, and that's okay. Because God's power is at work within you as you give your life over to him, and your life begins to be transformed. That is the resurrection power of Jesus. That's why I say, well, don't look at this one moment. Look at the way God is transforming. And see, now, now, if you like Jesus, here's the promise for you. The promise is that you, you can be like Jesus. You can give your life to him. Let his mercy and his grace and his goodness work through you. Let his resurrection power resurrect your broken life. That's the promise. That's the excitement here. That's what he's inviting us to, that by believing, you may have life in his name. We're in spring. Stuff takes time to grow, right? Let it grow. Let his life grow 
within you. See what he can do. Now, this kind of life comes from the power of God working in and through us. And I love this part. As I wrote this down, I, just, I wrote this and said, oh, I love this line. That which is eternal, springing up in the temporal reality of today. You follow me here? So what we're saying is that the eternal goodness, mercy, love of God, we talk to the youth group about this all the time. I say, guys, what is, what is, what is heaven? What is eternal? Well, love, love. There, there's only love in heaven. Yes, yes. There, there's only goodness and mercy, right? And righteousness and justice. All of those things are in heaven. That's what is eternal. It's good. The promise is that God is going to take that which is eternal and bring it into the temporal reality today, springing up within our lives, saying the kingdom is here and now, and it is a representation of what is to come. And you and I have an invitation to believe and be a part of that. Mind-boggling. Amazing. This is the good news of Jesus. And that's why. This is where I want to end us today. This is where I want to get us. That's why John, way before he wrote this about, hey, you know, there's other things written, there's other things done, all those signs pointing that you may have life in his name. If we back up, that's why he wrote these most famous words. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. I have been a proponent for a really long time that we have messed up by making John 3.16 the most popular verse of the Bible. It's John 3.16 and 17. Just make that, make that poster a little bit bigger Put 17 on. Let's fix this thing. Now listen to this again and let this sink in because the but or the for that he puts in here is so important. This transition that takes us. Ready? For God so loved the world, right? We know this part. He gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Because for, John's like, don't miss this. Make sure to add this on the poster. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. So the invitation is to believe, receive eternal life from the one who offers it to us. And here's, here's the curious part then. If we don't, right? Right, listen to this, listen follow me here. The invitation is to believe, right? We got that. Receive eternal life. The, 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 not just eternal going, but eternal coming into our lives from the one who offers it to us. And if we don't, though, he says this. He says, well, we're condemned. But then he says, but you're not condemned by God. He's clear to tell us that God didn't send Jesus to condemn, but to save us. So then the question that we have to ask, because I told you we need to start asking better questions, if God doesn't condemn us, who does? If he's being clear here, he says, listen, God didn't send Jesus to condemn you. Well, so if God didn't send Jesus to condemn us, who condemns us? 
And I think the answer is that we do. We do. Our world is full of sin and death. We, we can use words to describe it like anger, greed, hate. We know where all of this comes from. We know the ickiness by which we would say, okay, so if this is new life springing up here, then I know what dead life looks like. You guys know I'm obsessed with my yard. It's probably why I'm inviting everybody over on the 21st, right? I know what life should look like in there. I know what flourishing life looks like in that yard. I know that that's goodness there, right? I go, oh, this is good. And then I look over here and I see not the, really even the weeds, but just where there's nothing. It won't grow. It's garbage. It's just got rocky soil. It's just nasty. I don't even want to walk over there because I'm embarrassed by it. I know that that is death. See, and I think we know this too. I think we know what it looks like to walk into life. We all know what it looks like when I say, Jesus is the Lord of my life. I'm going to follow him into grace, into mercy, into love. I'm going to, I'm going to follow him into loving the people around me and loving this world, to showing the life of Jesus to others. I'm going to, I know what that looks like. I also know what it looks like when I walk into death. And when I let hate and greed and all of that ugly stuff lead my life. I just, I follow that path instead. The hell we condemn ourselves to is the one then that we create in implicit and complicit ways. Now listen to this. But Jesus, through his life, death, and resurrection, invites us to believe and to be saved from that and experience life in his name. He says, follow me, believe in me, follow me into life. Stop walking that direction. I know, I get, I get it. Follow me into life, turn around, repent, shift, move, come, come this way. Grab a hand of a friend in this community and say, help me get there. Don't let me go that direction. That's what he's telling us here. In his salvation, we have the hope of heaven. This is the best part. As something to come. As we also experience the reality of it through our lives. As we put our faith and trust in Jesus. We have the hope of that to come. <laughs> but experience it now. That is good news. Because this world needs a little bit of heaven. And it's promised to us. Jesus saves us from the life of fear and anger, greed, isolation that surrounds us, fills us with grace and love and mercy, forgives our sin, and then does the most amazing thing, gives us a community called the church to walk beside us. Amazing. You know, there's now... Um, Surgeon General is talking about an ep epidemic of isolation, uh, an epidemic of um, people feeling completely isolated and alone and distanced from others. And social media in this weird way connects us more, but also disconnects us more. 
And they're saying, we've got to figure out a way to do this. And one of the things they saw was that something happens at church. Something happens in the community of faith that somehow heals people from that sense of isolation. Now, it doesn't mean it's always perfect. It doesn't mean that we don't all struggle and have issues and have things that are going on and need help in different ways. And therapy is good and drugs are good and all of those things are helpful and needed. But God has given us this community to meet that need as well. That first and foremost, that is the place that we come to and belong to, that we experience grace and mercy and love and forgiveness and, and unity and all of this wonder that happens. That there is a cure to that epidemic. It's the community of the church, of authentic community. So for God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world to him. So the last question then is this. So who's the invitation given to? Who? <laughs> Kurt's ready to preach. He said everybody. Everyone. Did you see this? Whoever believes. How many of you heard me say this? If it's not good news, for everyone, it's not good news for anyone. Everyone can come and experience the grace, mercy, and love of God. Whoever is this giant sign telling us that this is good news for everyone. When you see for whoever, you say, me, that's for me. That whoever is my whoever. And that's your whoever and your whoever. And if you're sitting there going, well, there's some whatevers that I don't want to be a part of the whoever, too bad. It's not your choice. It's not your table. It's not your forgiveness. It's not your salvation. It's not, your, it's not yours. Your job is to invite people to the table to experience the goodness and mercy of God. Because you've got enough messed up stuff in your life that you need to God to take care of. Quit worrying about everybody else's. Worry about yours. Imagine what would happen if I said... Jesus, I want you 100% Lord of my life to change my life. You're going to stop worrying about a whole lot of other people because I guarantee even if you're really good, there's a 5% that you need to take care of because I know I do. Probably like 50%, 60%. I don't want to put percentages on it. I need Jesus, man. Everyone. So the question is the invitation. Will you believe? Will you believe that you are a whoever? Will you trust that as you read this passage today, you can read it like this? Ready? For God so loved you that he gave his one and only son that if you believe in him, you shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn you but to save you through him. God, this passage, these verses, this invitation, may we in these final moments of this service be reminded that every single person in this room is a whoever. That we have all been given the invitation to believe, to come and trust, to give our lives to you, to believe in the power of the resurrection. The resurrection, Jesus to new life and gives resurrection to our lives that we may follow him into grace and mercy and love and into eternity. God, we thank you for this community that we are gathered with here today as we sing and we pray and we laugh 
Father, that we also, that we cry together, that we mourn together, that we come alongside each other, and we learn to explore the way of Jesus, learning to love you, love others, bring life into this community, this city, in this world. And we can't do any of that on our own. But as we give our lives to Jesus, amen.